0: So blessed to be here with you today. I uh, know your pastor and his wife for many, many years. They worshiped at Summit Church in St. Paul where we pastored. And uh, Pastor John did his his first stage of graduate work there. And uh, Becky had children in the nursery. And so we go way back. And uh, have watched with interest the hand of the Lord on Pastor John as he has been here. He has led you. What a wonderful group of people on a on an August Sunday morning. Pastor Jordan, thanks for the worship and your team. Uh, great, great songs. I feel like I've been in church already. And uh, I just want to continue that. Let's stay in church, okay? And uh, I have a a text I want you to look at. Part of it will be on the the screen before you, but I will read a little bit more than that. Uh, It shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I'm reading out of Luke, chapter 18, verse 35 to begin. And if you have a Bible read-along, halfway through it, you're going to see it up on the board. It says, as Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now, hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped, commanded that the man be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And all the people saw it and gave praise to God. Uh, Sometimes songs tell Bible stories. I I remember a song from when I was a young child. I I have not heard it. Sung publicly. uh, And I'm not going to sing it for you now. You you can relax, you know. But uh, uh, the, the verse started out telling this story. It said, one sat alone beside the highway begging. His eyes were blind, the light he could not see. He clutched his rags and shuddered in the shadows. And Jesus came and bid the darkness flee. And I, as I was reading this, just thinking about this service, this, this is not something I pulled off the shelf to to preach with you guys because you haven't heard me that many times so it's not a repeat for you it's not a repeat for me i was praying about the opportunity pastor john gave me to be here with you today and and i began thinking about this story this man uh, what jesus did and i i just feel that today we can all enter into this moment i i, I want you to enter into the moment with me uh, Picture, first of all, being a part of a crowd that's on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, some of you go to ball games, and I mean big ball games, like major league sports. You go into the Twin Cities, and, and you're part of a big crowd going into the stadium, right? Well, the biggest deal, if you were a Jewish person, would be to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they came from all over, and, and here they are making their way to Jerusalem. Uh, you hear the phrase "go up to Jerusalem." Literally, they they would come through Jericho, which is one of the lowest cities on the planet. You know, it's way down there, below sea level, and it makes its way up to Jerusalem, which is two three thousand feet above sea level, and, and so. Uh, they're at the beginning of the climb. They're just entering Jericho. Th- this would be a city that's warm whenever everywhere else is cold. Uh, they have palm trees in Jericho. Uh, they have warm winters in Jericho. They have hot summers in Jericho. It'd be like Phoenix, maybe, or Palm Desert or something. Uh, intense heat. and uh, They're... It's, it's not summer now. It's spring, but it's hot in Jericho. And they're coming through town. They're just getting to town. And Israel isn't a welfare state as such. Uh, they, they don't have an elaborate system where you can just sign up and you'll get a little bit of help. Probably not enough help, but maybe a little bit. It's not like that. In Israel, if you have no way of making it on your own, you have to bake. And so this man has someone lead him. He's blind, right? Has someone lead him to the busy road that comes through Jericho on the way to Jerusalem. He is there at the beginning of the road. As you enter the city, he doesn't want you to have already given away your money before you get to him on the other end. He's there. As soon as you get to Jericho, you see this guy, and he's asking for alms. He's asking for help. He wants money so that he can survive. And uh, people come by, I mean, especially during the time of year this is, folk going to Passover, Uh, There will be a lot of people coming by, but not like this. This is a huge crowd, and there's all kinds of excitement, more than usual, because Jesus is the center of this group. People have attached themselves to him. And uh, so the man can detect something different about this crowd. This is a different day, a different moment for me. What's going on? And they're saying, well, Jesus the Nazarene is coming through. Jesus of Nazareth, he's coming through. And his disciples are with him. And this huge crowd is all excited about him. And uh, by this point, people all over Israel knew about Jesus. Everybody knew about him. They talked about him. Who is he? What what is this about anyway? And so... uh, This man had heard of Jesus. And he cut loose as loud as he could. Understand, there's a big crowd. He yelled loud enough that you could hear his voice above the crowd. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's crying it out, crying it out, shouting as loud as he can. And those who, it says in the text that those who led the way. Now, I wonder if there was a, just kind of leaders of this group. I don't think it was the disciples, although it was something they might have done. I, I, I remember a story earlier in the Gospels when parents just got the idea. I, I love the idea of baby dedication. And uh, parents got the idea they could bring their children, their little children to Jesus, and he'd bless them. And, and they're coming, you know. And, and the disciples stopped them. He says, don't you know the Master is busy? I mean, what does a baby understand anyway, right? I'd like to think that when you pray over your baby, there is an understanding, a connection. It doesn't have a vocabulary yet. But already there's an experience of God on Dedication Sunday, next Sunday, right? That'll be a beautiful moment. You say, well, what do the babies know? Well, they don't have a vocabulary to describe it, but already you are conditioning these young babies to understand and experience the presence of God, the touch of the Lord. And, of course, parents are making a commitment on a day like that. But here are these disciples and they were going to send these parents away. They're, they're interrupting the program. We got an agenda. We got an order of service. And it doesn't include you and your little kid. By the way, I heard a young child crying a, a few minutes ago. That's a good sound. I'm in churches on occasion where there are no children. That's a bad sound. <laughs> I, I love to see kids in church. Uh, you do too. This is the kind of place where people can bring their kids. People can bring their kids here to Crossroads Church. I know that. But could you picture the disciples sending the parents away? It says that Jesus rebuked them. That's a scary word. I, I, I don't want to be rebuked by Jesus. I just don't want that. But whoever these leaders were on that day in Jericho, I don't think it was the disciples this time. But there are people who, who are, there are self-appointed directors of the parade, right? They're, they're the leaders of the group. This large group is coming through on the way to Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus is in the middle of the group. These guys are feeling really important. I expect these are guys. This is not a woman thing. This is a guy thing, you yeah. We're important, and we've got a job to do here, and we're going to get Jesus through, through Jericho without some beggar messing the atmosphere. And so they, they told him. It says they sternly told him. Uh, that's a guy word, too, you know. I, I can just see a stern, angry face. Shut up! But he had heard it was Jesus. And they weren't going to quiet him. And it says, he cried out the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, I like to, th- to collect in my mind pictures of Jesus. Uh, you have photo albums. My wife has photo albums. And, of course, all of you have your photo library and your camera now, right? <laughs> Everyone has a collection. Uh, this isn't going to be in your camera, but it could be in your head. Uh, every time you read in the Gospels, picture Jesus there. I mean, was, uh, one, one of those amazing pictures is uh, Jesus sleeping in the boat. Wouldn't it be neat to be one of those guys so close to Jesus, you're with him when he sleeps? and uh, oh yeah he slept because he had become a man so he got tired and he slept they could drive nails in his hands and hang him on a cross and he hung there and died you know the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory so you have that picture of jesus in the boat And a storm comes up. I mean, we we are lake people in Minnesota, right? Storms can come up pretty fast. Uh, You don't, uh, especially Becky and I, are canoeists. Canoeists, and for years uh, we owned an aluminum craft. We still do. We have a Kevlar now, too. But you don't want to be on the water in in an aluminum canoe when a storm comes up. In fact, you don't want to be on the water in a Kevlar canoe when a storm comes up. But anyway... Jesus is on the water, sleeping. And a storm comes up, and they wake him up. And here's a picture for you. P- put, it, put it in the album that you're forming, you know, these snapshots. These are not posed pictures. It isn't, okay, stand right there, Jesus. Now get your hair a little straight. These aren't posed shots. If you're going to collect pictures of Jesus, they're action shots, right? He, he gets up in the middle of the storm, and it's blowing his hair. And I don't know if the rain was coming down yet or not, but it was a treacherous moment anyway. And he looks into the wind and rebukes it. The wind stops, just like that. And the sea is immediately calm. I mean, water doesn't do that, but it did. I love thinking of Jesus looking into the storm where I am. Hang on to that picture, you know when you're in a storm, you want the one who steps up between you and the wind. and he says one word and it's enough. You know I, I love seeing Jesus like that. Well, I could just go through the whole Gospels in one picture. I'm just going to bring you to this picture. Because it's so unusual, in my mind, uh, every picture of Jesus is remarkable. but, But this, remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Now, he's gone to Passover before, but this Passover is different. This is the time he will go to Jerusalem and be crucified. In fact, we're told, Mark's gospel, the the very paragraph before this story, is Mark describing Jesus telling them what's going to happen to him in Jerusalem. He prepared them. He says, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be captured, arrested. I'm going to be crucified. And on the third day, I'm going to rise again. He told them that. But somehow, they just, they didn't register it. One time, Peter kind of got it. And, and, and he, he just, he rebuked Jesus. Can you imagine Peter rebuking Jesus? Don't, oh Lord, don't you say anything. Don't even say it. And Jesus would say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You, you, you value the things of man rather than the things of God. But, uh, He had been telling them, this is why he's going. If ever there is something that is is worth focusing your attention, it's going to Jerusalem to save the whole world. I'm so glad he went to Jerusalem. Aren't you? I'm glad he walked that day, those days, to Jerusalem. I'm glad he went there knowing that he would be arrested and crucified. He knew he was going to do that. This, he would say on another occasion, this is why I came. He is on mission. He's doing what he came to do. Earlier in this walk, as he is starting to go to Jerusalem, you can divide the Gospels into into the major event, movements, and and there's this ministry in Galilee in the northern part of Israel, this great Galilean ministry. And, and, And then he is on his way, and one of the gospels says he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And so I'm telling you all that to tell you this. He's on a mission. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. He's part of this big crowd. They're moving. I I have an idea. They're stepping right along. And it says that he heard this man cry out. And he stopped. Jesus stopped. One of the pictures in the gospel album in my head is a picture of Jesus stopping in the middle of this crowd. He's on his way to die for my sins. But he will stop because that blind beggar cried out. They want to say, shut up. Don't make all this noise. Don't you see, this is a happy occasion. We're on our way to Passover. With Mes- they think he's Messiah. They're beginning to recognize him. And then he died on the cross, and they, they said, what, what is this? But he stops. And he beckons this man to come. He wouldn't see emotion like that, but the people with him understood that Jesus wanted this man led to him. And so they lead this blind man to Jesus. He stops. He waits however long it takes for this man to go from however far out he was. Through this thick crowd, make his way, and Jesus is not moving toward Jerusalem. He is standing still, waiting for this man who cried out for help. And uh, there, there will be someone here today. I, I have an idea, more than one. And you say, well, he, the, the Lord has so many prayers he hears. There's so many things he's doing. You know, these are amazing days around the world where the gospel is moving forward. People are being saved and healed in regions where the gospel has never been heard. And... and, and Great things are happening. You say, well, all these great things are happening, you know. God doesn't have time for me. I believe that Jesus came to show us what God is like. And God is about some really big things. He's about saving the whole world. But he's also about stopping when one blind beggar calls his name. Don't you ever think God doesn't have time for you. Don't you ever think, well, there's so much happening right now. Who's going to think about me? You know, my problem is small compared to those problems. Well, if it's a problem that affects your life. I I, I was with a, a friend a few days ago. I haven't seen him very often. But way back when my wife and I were planting a church just north of Lexington, there was a couple pastoring a church in Lexington, Kentucky. And uh, we were uh, expecting our first child. And uh, this couple, we didn't know them until we started having these visits, although we knew of one another. And... uh, we stopped by to visit them on our way to see the obstetrician. And, uh, they just welcomed us. And every time Becky had a doctor's visit, we lived about 30 miles out of Lexington. We would drive in. She would call the doctor's office and say, well, when is Becky coming? And, uh, she would cook a spaghetti probably <laughs> very often. I like spaghetti. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, uh, I was at their house. Becky's labor went all night. In those days the husband wasn't even allowed into the labor room. Much less the delivery room. I don't know what they thought we'd do. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they weren't about to find out. and We weren't allowed even in the labor room. And so they said, you might as well go home, spend the night. So I went over to uh, our friends the Tinland's house and they had they made a bed for me, and uh, it's the next day, and it was a, a small church uh, with an apartment next to, adjacent, attached to the sanctuary. And uh, so I spent the night there. Then we, uh, uh, my friend Paul was uh, in his study, reading the Bible, preparing his message for that Sunday. This, by the way, was Saturday. Preacher kids get born on Saturday night very often. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he was working on his sermon, you know, and I, I'm not thinking about sermons. I'm worried about Becky. And I just heard news of somebody who had had just real tragedy in childbirth, a, a, just a tough, tough, bad experience. And so I'm worried, you know. And, and they were good people. It's not, well, they're bad people, you know. You know bad things happen to good people. And good things happen to bad people. But, uh, so I'm saying, I, I have no assurance. You know, and so I, I'm in the sanctuary praying, reading the Bible, and worrying. And he's through a door where his desk is. And, and he, uh, he comes out and he says, hey, let me, let me play a song for you. It's brand new. And so they, uh, he had this long play record, 33 and a third RPM, for those of you as old as me. And... Uh, and so he puts the needle down in the middle of a song. The lady wrote it and sang it. Her name was Audrey Meyer. Uh, and people as old as me would recognize that name, too. But she, she had this beautiful voice, and she wrote wonderful songs. And the song that played, and mind you, here here's this father, I... I I did get to go home, but I didn't, or to a house where friends were. But I didn't sleep all that well that night. Slept better than Becky, I expect. But but uh, here I am, anxious, you know, and uh, and this song starts. This woman has this beautiful voice, like some of the ladies here. I was hearing sing and worship, uh, and uh, she sung this song that she wrote. It matters to him about you. And I'll never forget that. When I was with my friend, uh, Paul Timlin, just a few days ago, I, I reminded him again. I said, remember Paul? Remember that night? He played that song, I'll never forget. That's just what I needed that morning. That's just what I needed to hear. It matters to him about you. Uh, that, that's what you need to hear. That's what we all need to hear. That it doesn't matter the other important things God is doing. Is he doing important things? You betcha. Of course he's doing important things. Are there people with greater needs than you? Yeah, there are people with greater needs than you. Does it matter to him about you? Yes. Would Jesus stop on his way to Jerusalem because a beggar cries out on the edge of the road? He did. He did that. He stopped. Had the man come to him. And he has this conversation. Uh, it might strike you odd to begin with. That Jesus would ask him, what do you want me to do for you? But he was a beggar after all. It could be he just thought Jesus had a lot of money. I mean. It, but it, it seemed obvious. That he would want, if he had to choose between money and being healed, right? But, uh, come right down to it, uh, th- this is the whole wonder of prayer, isn't it? Does God need any information I can give him when I pray? Does God need it? You, you have this, uh, this huge bill come and due and you don't know how to pay it. So you pray about it, right? I hope you pray about it. But did God need the information? Did God say, what? <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you mean you don't have enough to do that? He knew it. He knows. Just like it's obvious this man is blind. But he wants us To talk to him about it. There is something about communication. About connecting. About saying it. I've had occasions when I needed finances and prayed about it. And it came together for me. And the whole transaction was amazing. I remember a time. It was my first car. I was a college student. I bought the car so I could drive 60 miles out of Springfield every Sunday to preach at a little place called Union Point. And uh, so I bought this 53 Mercury. It was a gem. I was proud as I could be of that 53 Mercury. And uh, one of these huge storms came up, and there is a, a railroad track that runs through a part of Springfield, and they, they go under the track. It isn't that the bridge is over the road. The road is under the track. And and so uh, I'm driving along, and it's raining really hard, and I'm I'm noticing that a car ahead of me is having a little bit of trouble, but I have a lot of confidence in my car, you know, and so I'm just head on in there. And uh, sure enough, it conks out in the water, and I'm trying to start it. It won't start. And so I prayed about it. What would you do? I said, Lord, you help me get this car. Help me now. And I, I put my hand with confidence to the ignition, knowing that now it's going to start. And it went. Pfft. <laughs> and, and so uh, about that time, I heard this horn behind me. Now I have, now maybe five or six of us are in the water under the train tracks. There are several cars, but behind me is a fairly large utility truck. I mean, city utility truck. And of all those cars, he picked my car, and he pulled up behind me, blew the horn, and he gently put his bumper against my bumper and shoved me out of the water. Now, I don't know... I'm not wanting to say God didn't care about those other people that stayed in the water. That, that's not my point, believe me. But it's sure that, I, I, I'm sure as I'm standing here that it was, it was divine grace. It was my stupidity that I was in the trouble I was in. And it was grace that I got out of it. And you, and you ask him. You ask him. You call on him. He wants you to talk to him about it. The best thing you can do if you're dealing with a problem is pray about it. The worst thing you can do is worry about it. And some people's prayers sound more like worries. A a prayer is a request. Paul says, make your requests known. You know, push me out of the water. It's not, whoa, I was stupid. I just got myself in this mess. And the water looks like it's still coming up higher and the car won't start. That's not really a prayer yet. It's a prayer when I say, well, help me. I don't know how you're going to do it. I think you're going to do a miracle start here. He didn't. He didn't do that. But a request is, is something God can do. Right? Right? When you pray, make it a request. When you're dealing with a problem, make it a request. Jesus said to this blind man, what can I do for you? What can I do for you? Wow. If I said to you, you'd say, well, nice guy, you know, well, what can you do? <laughs> well, you know, I but if Jesus says to you, what can I do? What can he do? He spoke the worlds into place. In the first chapter of Colossians, it says, everything made that was made was made by him, referring to Jesus. Things visible, things invisible. Principalities, powers, you know, you hear those words and and you want to say, oh, principalities and powers. It says they were made by him and for him. This is the one who says to you, you you think you're going through a spiritual trial. Maybe you are. So does Jesus tremble about the principalities and powers? No, he he made them, and they will ultimately serve his purposes. And at this moment in your life, they will serve his purpose. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? Well, I don't know, Lord. This is a tough, this one is really tough. I love that phrase in Jeremiah where it says, nothing is hard for God. Is anything hard for God? It's not hard. So he's the one who says to you, what do you want me to do for you? And this man could have asked for money, and he might not have gotten it. You know, you don't just automatically get everything you want magically like My car didn't start. I had to wait for it to dry out. But I did get it rescued from the flood. But I remember, do you you remember the story of the mother who had a couple sons? Spoiled brats, maybe. And and she came to Jesus and said, now, I know you got all these guys, but my boys, James and John, my boys, give them a special spot because they're my boys. Jesus, that's not something I'm going to do. It's not for me to give you. So, you're not going to get everything you ask. Especially if you ask something dumb-headed like that. Or he may not answer the legitimate needs you have in the way you expected him to do it because his ways are higher than our ways. I... Think of this huge crowd in heaven, and and they're singing. Uh, It's a two verse song, and and I don't know if there's a full orchestra in heaven, if it's a guitar. It it doesn't matter. The, The fact is that this whole crowd is singing. And they have two verses, and the first verse is great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Think of what he's done. I've talked about what he can do, but think of what he's done. I mean, he, he breathed the stars, the psalmist says. Can you imagine a God so big that he breathes out the stars? Uh, huge, huge. Balls of burning gas, many times larger than our sun. (sighs) He can breathe them out. That's the God of creation. And he's the God who made this indescribable provision for my salvation. Talk about his marvelous works. And we're told... In the scriptures, that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. That this is enough for everybody. That's why we send missionaries. Because they need to know that. They need to know. That whosoever believeth in him, you've memorized the verse, of course, all of us, early on. That God so loved that he gave that whosoever, the whole world. Talk about a great and marvelous work, provisions for the whole world's sin. Not just for one generation, for all generations. You know our generation really needs that. The generation we live, live in desperately, we need his salvation. We desperately need it. Great and marvelous are his works. Second verse, same song, second verse. The whole crowd is saying, I'd like to think I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there because of Jesus. I'm going to be there. How about you? And we're going to be singing. We're going to sing the first verse, great and marvelous. And we're going to say, wow, you know what you've done for me. You know, what you've done for me, what you've done in the world. Amazing. And then we're going to sing the second verse. Just and true are your ways. Now the works are what God does. His ways are how he did it, when he did it, if he did it. And maybe there's some answer to prayer that will puzzle you, lack of an answer to prayer, that will puzzle you as long as you're here on planet Earth you'll just always wonder why didn't God answer that prayer and then some evangelists will come along and say well it's your fault you know you did this or you didn't do that if you just sent me an offering you know and I would say get out of here but uh, someday when you're part of that big crowd you and I will be up there you know And we're singing at the top of our voice. It sounds like an ocean. But you can make out the words. And the words are great and marvelous are your works. And just and true are your ways. That time when I thought you didn't answer. You were doing something better. I just didn't know it. You've always done the right thing. That's just. His ways are just. And you've always been true to me. Never doubted for a moment how God handles you. His ways are just and true. But Here's this man, and he has an amazing moment because Jesus, not just any man, Jesus, is saying to him, what do you want me to do for you? And he says, Lord, that I might regain my sight. And immediately, his sight was restored. And he began to praise God, and he joined the crowd on their way to Jerusalem. And uh, I'm about done. And I'm not just giving you hope. I'm being honest. (laughs) But uh, the man said regain. Now some of the versions say simply receive. But in the original it is clear. It is regain. So the man evidently used to see, and for some reason he can't see now for who knows how long, He's saying, can I just get it back? Can I regain my sight? And I wanted to close this service today. Thinking with you about that word, regain. There are, uh, well, there are people sitting here right now and things couldn't be going better. And, and I praise God with you. And there are others. And, and it was going good and now it isn't. Maybe it's something to do with your health. Maybe it's something to do with a relationship. Maybe it's about your relationship with God. Maybe you're still here on a Sunday morning and the rest of us, we're just glad to see you. But you know it's not like it used to be. It used to be that with a psalmist, you would say, I was glad. I get to go to church. I'm glad. But you don't feel that way anymore. The Bible's a closed book. I mean, even when you try to open it, you just can't can't focus on it. You think when you're praying that they have the phrase, the heavens are brass. I'm I'm assuming they mean it's a hard surface not that far above my head. And my prayer goes boink. It comes right back down. And I don't think I'm talking to God anymore. And I don't think I have a relationship with him anymore. And I want you to know that that's a prayer he's not going to turn his back on. If he says, what do you want me to do for you? He says that. And I'm speaking for him right now saying Jesus is offering to do something for you when it comes to regaining what you lost with him. If you just put it into words with him. I'm not asking you to stand up and tell the rest of us how you messed up. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm saying right where you're sitting right now. And you know you messed up and it hasn't been the same since. And the Lord says, well, what do you want me to do for you? You say, well, I'm going to talk to you about it, Lord. I know I messed up. I want to regain what I used to have. I want to regain it. The old timers talked about the word revival. That's a wonderful word. It's the same kind of word. What's revival? Is it everyone got excited and shouted? Well, they, they do that. I mean, this man shouted after he was healed, not just before. But uh, what is revival? What, what happens when a, when a first responder gets there in time We say, well, they revived him. He was having a heart attack. He was gone. They revived him. Or they, they pulled him out of the lake. And we thought we'd lost him, but they revived him. That's what salvation is about. It's, it's about rescuing us. And he's saying, what do you want me to do for you? And you say, Lord, I want it back. Or maybe you never had it. And you say, Lord, you said it's for the whole world. That includes me. I want I want peace with God, too. I want peace with God. So right where you're sitting, you have this little prayer circle. It's just you and Jesus. And... He's doing some amazing things this morning all over the world. There are church services all over the world, every time zone. There are churches all over the world having a service right this minute. And uh, you say, oh, there are all those people. But after all, this is God. And he stops. He's not leaving them out. He's just stopping to include you because it matters to him about you. And so, Lord, we believe that. We believe it not because someone stands on the platform and says it, but we believe it because we have the Bible. We have your word. And your word says, what shall we say to these things if God before us, he who spared not his own son, you're for us, Lord. It matters to you about us. And so we just, we just want to recognize that before you, we, we, we don't all feel that right now, Lord. But in our head, we understand that that's what your, your word teaches, that you came into this world. You, you told the story of a shepherd who lost a sheep, and he went out into a very rugged, dangerous mountain just for one sheep, just for one sheep. He stopped on his way to Jerusalem. You did. You stopped on your way to Jerusalem for just one beggar. Everyone else wanted him to be quiet, but you wanted to hear him. And so you hear us now, Lord. You hear us now. So right where you're sitting, the Lord is saying to you, "What do you, what do you, not somebody else, you, what do you want me, Jesus, the Savior, Son of David, Messiah, what do you want me to do for you?" And you say, "Lord, I, I want to regain it. I want to regain my love of the Scriptures." I want to regain the joy of entering into a good worship time. I want to regain the readiness to pray and know that you hear. I want to hear you, Lord. Lord, there's someone sitting here that used to be amazing in leading people to you, and they haven't been doing it. And Lord, even now, the Holy Spirit is stirring in their heart. And they're saying to you, Lord, I want to regain, I want to regain that passion for lost people. I want to regain that, that readiness to share a timely word that leads someone closer to you. Lord, there's someone sitting here that used to be filled with joy and praise and It's an angry woman now. A really angry woman. And your Holy Spirit is convicting. And she's saying to you, Lord, I want to regain the joy. Angry is no way to live. I want to regain the joy. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. So, Lord, what we want you to do for us, here in your presence with your Holy Spirit, deeply moving in our souls, even when we don't feel it, our minds are tuning in and we're knowing that we can regain what we lost that you would rescue us, that you would save us, that you would restore us, that you would revive us, that you would heal us, that you would bless us and make us a blessing. And Lord, we've just started this prayer. We've just started this. This is a conversation we want to have with you all day long, Jesus. This is a conversation we want to have with you all week long. We want to talk with you about what, what can be. Not what might have been, but what can be. We want to regain, Lord, that favor that we forfeited when we just willfully sinned and, and took on hatred and lust and greed. and we, we snuffed out the good seed you had sowed in our soul. But, Lord, you can revive the seed. You can restore us. We can regain, Lord, the the possibilities. We're looking to you, Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, Jesus, Savior. Amen.